Hi, guys. Welcome to the How I Raised It podcast, the show where you get an inside, unfiltered look at how real entrepreneurs raise capital for their businesses. I'm your host, Nathan Beckerder, and today's episode is with Aitan Reisel of V Games, an Israeli-based venture fund that invests in game entrepreneurs. We discuss what types of gaming startups he's looking for, how he raised his venture fund, advice for founders, and much more. If you're tuning into this podcast and learn how to raise capital for your business, I've created a super valuable free welcome package for you. It includes a list of 2,500 investors who don't require a warm intro, plus 200 questions that investors are going to ask you. It's really going to help you get ready to raise money. To get access to this, please leave us a nice review in the Apple iTunes store. Hit all the stars. Leave us a nice comment or two. And then email us at info at foundersuite.com, and we'll send that to you right away. Last but not least, if you enjoy this conversation and think someone else would too, please share it with them and hit that subscribe button to get all our latest episodes. Thank you. Now sit back and enjoy this chat with Aitan. Welcome to How I Raised It, the podcast that goes behind the scenes with entrepreneurs who've raised capital. We uncover the tips, tricks, and techniques they use to get investors to write a check. Strap in and turn it up. Hi, welcome to another episode of How I Raised It, produced by Foundersuite.com. Today I have Eitan Rizel of V Games coming to us from Tel Aviv. How's your day or I guess evening going? Every day of an investor is an exciting day. You get to meet founders, passionate founders, depressed founders, depends on what day and what cycle you meet them. But uh, not good, everything is okay, everybody's healthy, that's, in, that's the most important part. Are you, are you from Israel? Are you a native? So I was born here, grew up in the U.S., moved back, um, and ever since I'm here. So 30-plus uh, years back in Israel. Long cool. naval career. So, yeah, I'm a true Israeli in spirit. <laughs> Excellent. Well, let's talk about what you do. What is V-Games? So V-Games is uh, it's my fifth child, or fourth, because it was born before my fourth child. So uh, fourth and then uh, number fifth came. Um, founded two and a half years ago. So actually when pandemic really hit Israel, that's where we started VGames. Um, VGames is one of the most active gaming funds in the world. So we're a dedicated games fund. We're based out of Tel Aviv, as you mentioned. But we invest all around the world. Have portfolio companies in the US, Europe, Asia, and Israel, of course, well, Middle East in general. And we invest in gaming companies, um, gaming studios, um, folks who are building content at various stages, like anywhere between pre-seed and A. Um, it's pretty common gaming funds around the world. A lot of the initial investments are done through specific or dedicated vehicles because there's a lot of knowledge and expertise needed. Um, we're a small team, did almost 30 investments in two and a half years. So pretty active. Um, yeah. Yeah, cool. And gaming is such a broad category. It's like saying software. We're software investors. I mean, yeah, what, right. what niches of gaming are you really yeah, so, focused on? Yeah. We specialize in content. So we invest in game studios. A lot of the gaming funds are in general, a lot of investments in gaming are done like around infrastructure and you know, things that support game developers or communities, et cetera, et cetera. So gaming is such a big category. People think it's a niche, but it's not. It's actually larger than most of the software, other software categories. Um, we're unique in a way that we invest in game developers or so people building content in that world is we're pretty flex. So we would do anything, no matter platform. So cross device platforms, mobile, whatever. 
um, infrastructure, web two, web three, agnostic as well. So as long as it's people, or sorry, games that are dedicated or focused for mass audiences, not niche, that can drive you know, a lot of revenue, great retention, that's interesting for us. Um, we specifically, we don't do gambling in the fund. Uh, it's probably the only category that's you know marked as X, but besides that, we look at everything. Interesting. What I am so uninformed about gaming, I have the tiniest bit of knowledge about it, but like what's sort of more, what's the most attractive market? I mean, I think of like, you know, you had Zynga like years ago with Farmville and doing those type of games. And now I see my kids who are literally on summer break sitting outside my office playing Roblox, Roblox for hours a day. So you've got this kid, these youth market, you know, I think of Farmville as like the, the Midwestern housewife market. You've got the kid market. Like what's the, the sweet market these days? Or uh, so, uh, I'll tell you a secret, Nathan, 40% of the population play games in the world. So uh, I think there's a market for everyone, for your kids, for the housewife, for people in India, for people in the US, for people in London and for people in Tokyo. I think the beauty about gaming is it's not, there's no boundaries of age. There's no boundaries of language. There's no boundaries of culture. There's no boundaries of geo. So really build, people can build content in China that is relevant for the US audience. People can build content in the US that's relevant for Korea. And that's what's the beauty about games. It, it brings one, everybody back to childhood and two, everybody can play together. Um, you know, games are one of the largest dating apps in the world now because you get to meet so many people in so many regions. And mm. I think COVID only enhanced that with bringing people together. Um, there's no doubt that it's today the largest source of entertainment, but it's also the largest source of socializing, which I think is, is a key factor when you think about games. Yeah, so it's, it's really, the, you know, for people who are looking what to play, you'll find content from various, you know, there's stuff that's more core, there's stuff that's more casual. The difference will be usually how much time you'll spend on a game, how much you'll invest out of your personal time, et cetera. So you'll find variations of everything. Um, what do you play? Can I, uh, can I ask that question? What are you spending yeah, my your My job is to play. I actually play a lot. Um, I, I didn't grow up as a gamer, but I became one. I don't know if because my job or because my passion. But uh, So I play a lot. I play like a lot of uh, like first-person shooters because we have a few companies in that space. There are a lot of casual games. Israel is pretty big in the world of casual companies like Moon Active and Playtica and Plarium, mid-core title. So I'm like, I'd say in general, I'm more a mobile player because a uh, father of four kids, you don't have a lot of time to sit on the couch and, you know, um, so I'm, I'm more, you know, in on the run or in the run. Um, but yeah, we try to play everything. And I'd say I play over an hour a day at least, you know, because that's the only way to stay relevant in this space. I have uh, some of my team members probably play two or three hours. Uh, they're getting paid for that because that's their jobs. <laughs> Uh, actually, like very big teams at Google, where we would play a lot as well, because you know, it's like if you want to stay relevant in this category, you have to play. I'll tell you a small secret that you can uh, hear. We can share with the audience. Probably my number one due diligence guy is my ten-year-old son. <laughs> He's the one that actually makes the decisions. I just write the checks, but uh, you know, <laughs> it's it's really there's a they bring a pure sense of understanding of content that most likely I already forgotten. So uh. totally. I don't know if the camera will capture it, but there's my my eight-year-old 
give me a dirty look steadfastly creating his roblox character i don't even know what the hell he's doing he's trading trading this for that on there um, I if, he has, if he plays Matchmasters, most likely he Say it again, Matchmasters? Matchmasters, yeah. It's a I'll ask about that. What is one game you would recommend for, uh, a, I don't know, a middle-aged guy like me? <laughs> I hate uh, saying that, that. that. That's not fair because it's like choosing my baby. Uh, uh-huh. and I have a lot of them. But, uh, yeah, well... What type of content will you enjoy? Like, is it more uh, skill stuff? Is it more, uh, you know? So, so where I, I haven't played games in in quite a while, where I left off playing games when I my first job was at Arthur Anderson when that company existed, and we would play Doom over the local area network, and and I loved that, right? So I do like the first person shooter. So Doom is kind of where I left okay, off so one, one you should play Splitgate. it's a u.s-based company called 1047 that built this beautiful i don't like people say it's a combination of halo and portal but i think it's actually it's stronger than both together um but split that's gate? a really cool game uh we have like a mid-core game called five heroes which is rpg type but like a little bit more strategy uh blitz so yeah you can look at our website you'll see a lot of companies a lot of games and you know I, I recommend testing them all, but you may need a few more hours a week <laughs> to do that. So, uh, yeah. What was the first one called? Split Hero. Split Gate. Yeah, that's a, it's actually it's a very cool story. Two guys ex, like started this company. Ten Forty Seven is because uh, that's their dorm number in Stanford. That's where they met. Oh, um, funny. They started this as like a Stanford project, and it began to be like one of the most amazing gaming companies coming out of the U.S. Uh, they raised a hundred million dollars about six months ago. Actually, just came back from an offsite in Italy, meeting all the art team. You know, so it's uh, pretty exciting. We, we we're privileged to back amazing, amazing, amazing founders. We're, I'm sure we'll talk about this. We're a very founder-centric fund. Um, I'm a founder myself. It's not that we joined like this big fund that already operated and had LPs and stuff like that. You know, so it's we try to come very modest into this game and. You know, and understand the challenges and the opportunities, and that's how we treat it. And again, I, I know so little, just enough to be dangerous. But like, you know, I think a few years ago when the App Store kind of came on the scene, that enabled a lot of people to create fairly basic, simple games right. that you know, even Angry Birds. Right? I mean, things that sort of had a huge audience, but they could get going pretty easily. Is there still a fairly low bar to create a? A game and get into the market or do you sort of need pretty big bankroll to to really crack the market I'll, i divide it into two one it is becoming more expensive year after year right because of privacy stuff because there's more content etc so if you compare it to 10 or 15 years ago it is easier to get a game out there meaning published to something it's much more difficult today than it was 10 years ago to get eyeballs on your game because there's so much variety of content and there's so many developers and you know there's so many even in specific genres you have so many titles in that genres and some succeed and some don't so it became much more expensive to take a game out to the world i can tell you marketing costs are sky high and you need a significant investment to get games out there that would be less true in the world of probably pc you know it's still more an indie environment or very big brands and you know, it's more community building and the content itself is playing an important role. Um, but yeah, if you look in general, it is more expensive. You know, that's also a justification of why you have investors that are dedicated for this 
category because one, it's hard to analyze, um, you know, what what could be a successful game and what not. And the second piece of it is that you really have to, you know, know how to take this product out to the world. It's not just enough to put it on the store and wait for the audience to come because uh, unfortunately they won't. <laughs> Yeah, that's let's talk about that a minute. I mean, what is what is it that makes some of these big break breakout games happen? Like, what were the the magic formula? That are there any patterns you can kind of say? Well, yeah. yes, there's not one fits all, but you know, you always need a superior product, right? It, try to compare games to the world of a series or of on Netflix or whatever it is, right? So you're going to start watching content if the content has great value. And you enjoy it and it's interesting enough and it's exciting enough and it's surprising enough. And you can say the same thing about games, right? The game has to be well, you know, served and well done and fun and playable and interesting. And But on the other hand, what's the most important factor when you look at a good series? Like you finished episode one, you want to attract people to watch episode two, etc. So many times, going back to your question, is one, building an amazing product, which is like amazing content being attractive enough to return and being repetitive playing because like good content, you want to make sure that people want to come back and watch episode one, episode two, episode three, and then series one, series two, series three. And the third is how you market it, like how you tell the story out to the world, right? Um, and there, there's a variety of content and you have to surface in a more interesting way. So, uh, you know, how you build your communities, how you build your adverts, how you took it out, what marketing channels you use, what partners you've published with, I think there's a variety of so many things. Um, any, but, any like just quick case studies that come to mind that like, hey, these guys, maybe it's a portfolio company. They did something really clever and this is what they did. Like any little anecdotes you have? So there's a beautiful gaming company in Turkey we actually haven't invested in, but I, I'm always happy to talk about, you know, other success stories. But uh, it's a company called Dream. Turkey is another beautiful gaming market. Um, they built a game, a casual game called Royal Match. It's like a, a match free combined with like, a, without going too much into a gaming words, but uh, there's a story that uh, supports this uh, match three Candy Crush style thing. And they brought a very, very cool, unique gameplay. The product is amazing, beautiful retention numbers, way above average, you know, and that if, with doing that, they can afford to buy a lot of media at a very, very limited amount of time and grow dramatically. This game grew from zero to like $25 million a month revenue in like no time. So it's, you know, it's always a combination. I haven't seen games in the past three, four years succeed only because of marketing. I haven't seen games succeed only because of product. I haven't seen games only succeed because of the teams behind them. It's really a combination of all three, but I can tell you on the premium, very, very um, exciting content, there's not enough produced today. So there's so much gap and people are looking to consume more and more games. So there's really an endless market opportunity for good developers. Hmm. Okay. We'll come back to, to, you know, maybe advice for gaming founders, but let's talk about your fund. Um, you guys are on fund number two. Maybe t- tell us the overview of... of- yeah, so we're... $200 million under management. Fund number one was 60. Fund number two is 141. Um, the first fund initial closing was March, 2020. So they're both relatively very young. Um, but as I said, we're very active. We write, 
a check every three weeks at least. So that's our speed. Um, majority of deals we lead. What's the average um, check size a, of those? Around three and a half, I'd say. Three and a half million? Uh, yeah. yeah. It Good. really depends. So when we do pre-seeds, we do smaller checks. We also lead A rounds, and then we do, like, we can write it eight to ten. So the average would probably fall around 3.5, maybe four. Um, larger in the second fund than the first fund. Um, majority of deals were leads, as I said. Um, and I'd say we're pretty active investors, although we're a small team, but I hope to say in a sense where the founders need us, like we're not looking to dictate the, the companies that we invest in or and have any notion of knowing better than our founders. We invest in them because we believe that they know what they're doing and our job is just to help them. Um, yeah, cool. we, we don't plan on stopping anytime soon. So, uh, so I want to come back also to what, what game, what types of companies you're looking for, but actually I want to talk about raising capital uh, for the fund because that's a key theme of this show. Maybe give us a little backstory. I think you were at Google Israel and then when did you decide, what's the genesis story? When did you decide yeah, to go so out I, on your own? Mm -hmm. So I've been in the Navy for many years, 2007 left. I uh, had my own company for the first two years. Then 2010, I had this really cool opportunity to join like the founding team members of uh, Google's office here in Israel, which became to be a pretty big office. Um, I know how much of the crowd knows or you know, but Israel is a pretty cool entrepreneurial space. That's actually what we, the only thing we can export to the world is our brains. <laughs> so, so it's, uh, you know, that's a, uh, one of the most important sources of GDP for this country, etc. Um, and yeah, and building up at Google and growing up at Google, you know, because really that was like a big portion of my career. I was exposed to the world of games. I was the had the opportunity of leading one of the largest gaming teams out of Google, working with a lot of these gaming companies from their early days to become giants of the world today. Companies like Playtica and Moonactive and Zynga and Plarium and many others. Um, Fell in love with this category. Um, my background is more marketing. I left in 2018 for one year, went to work as a totally away from games, uh, you know, just to cool down a little bit from Google, et cetera. Um, I was an active angel investor for quite a while. Um, and then as soon as I could go back into games, started putting some ch personal checks into uh, this category specifically. Um, worked with a few founders and said, okay, this is a, at some point in life, you have to understand what you want to do when you grew up. So I was at that point of life. Um, and I, you know, going back to the attributes of uh, where I feel I can do better than others or where less, I, I was never an operator. I didn't build a game company, but I think I can help out a lot of game founders on marketing, which is one of the largest challenges, you know, drilling in and drilling out, financing, et cetera. And I just researched a lot what's working abroad, um, understood that my own capital is not enough to support a lot of gaming companies at scale. And that's what brought the idea of V-Games. I, I haven't invented this. So there are a lot of funds like us in other places in the world, but I'd say I localized it to Israel. You know, again, we are a global fund, but our footprint and our first market is here. Um, yeah, and then, uh, you know, I had a lot of luck uh, a lot of mistakes, but I was very, very privileged. In six months, we raised our first fund and we were oversubscribed. The initial plan was 30. We finished with 60. Um, Talk about how you put fund. that together. Were you leaning on your track record as an angel investor or 
you know, even a $30 million fund that ended up being 60, that's, that's a big fund actually for a first time fund. So how did you find LP? First time single GP, all the excuses to say no. Um, it's a good question. You know, it wouldn't be fair. I'd say, yeah, I'm a good salesperson and I convinced, but you know, I've learned a lot. I try to listen, trial and error. You know, you start with like the traditional LPs. You understand that that's not the right approach for the first fund because you're looking for VC track records. My angel track record is pretty good, <laughs> not good, but you know, it's not enough for the traditional funds of funds to invest, etc. So, you know, I think it took me time to navigate who should I fundraise from. Um, you know, I do. I hope to say I have a good reputation in the market of being a decent person and telling the truth which is an important component when you're raising funds. And I think once I was able to navigate who are the right LPs for me to really trust me on this ride, because that's the majority of what I can sell, my understanding of the market, the gaming landscape, et cetera. But at the end of the day, a lot of people don't understand this, but you know, you're not selling an industry, you're selling yourself at the beginning, right? Because you know, people are at the end of the day relying on you to make decisions on their capital to invest in the right companies. So I think once you understand that and you're able to get people who vote for you, that, that's probably the right strategy to start fundraising with. Who are the LPs? Like what types of LPs did you end up finding and how did you get connected to them? So I'd say a combination of three. Some were like, yes, the more traditional investors. Um, I actually had a VC back us in our first fund. Uh, like we played a fund of fund strategy. A lot of single family offices, so billionaires who are interested in this space for my personal network, and a lot of game veterans, a lot of folks from the industry. Mm. The two data are very supportive of us and helping with the flow and stuff like that. Had you worked with most all of them before, or were some like cold? And if so, how did you sort of get get in with them? That this is so. Put yourself in the shoes of maybe another emerging venture fund manager trying to figure out. How the hell do I get in front of you? I'll give you, I'll run you through the entire process if it helps anyone. Yeah. uh, Mm -hmm. Anyone, you know, uh, I'm not sure there is any corner cutting here because I think if I haven't gone through the process, most likely I would never succeed raising one and two. Um, But I think it's a matter of first, first of all, it took me time to understand what type of investors can invest in a fund like this, right? Second is you need an anchor. Without an anchor, forget about it. You need somebody to commit for at least 25% of the fund. Without one investor, it, it just won't work. Like strength to allocate, you know, I don't want to say be so confident. It wouldn't have worked work for me, right? Who I is your anchor? anchor. Can, you, can you share that? Say it again. Uh, who is your anchor? Can you share? So I, I can't say the exact name, but it, it's a fund. So okay. it's a, like a VC who did like a fund to fund play. Got it, got it. He okay. just wanted to go into the world of games and had no idea how to do it. Um, and then I'd say, uh, you know, for the, for the, once you have that, you really have to, one, engage on your own network, which I did, but most, you know, more importantly, get the anchor to work for you. Mm-hmm. I think that's an important factor, right? Um, and don't be shy to give the anchor better terms than others. They're, they're, they took the risk, right? So, you know, so uh, I'm, the, I'm still the single GP, et cetera, but yeah, I'm, you know, not a, shy to say that I gave them good terms so they also feel comfortable in supporting us, et cetera. And I think there's also, you know, a lot of luck factor into it, right? Pandemic hit, I was very scared that it's gonna shut the door, 
you know, gaming exploded. So it opened the door. We found ourselves oversubscribed in like no time. So, you know, you can't plan for, uh, you know, I want to be very, like times like now, I would never start fundraising as a new, uh, like if I would had to go now for fund number one and, you know, considering and there's also family considerations we need to do it. It's, it's maybe I should have started with this. Raising a fund is a founder with like anything, like every founder that comes to me and raise capital, I, I wasn't, I'm still in the same position every day, right? I have investors, they're investing in you, there are days that you're high, there are days that you're low, you know, and it's it's exactly the same, right? So if now you're starting a startup, is this the time to go and fundraise? I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, you're most likely you'll get a lot of no's regardless of uh, how strong you are and how good you are and how interesting you're building. So I think there's also understanding of macroeconomics and you know and it, and it doesn't mean that the chances are zero but you know they are lower probably so again going back you need an anchor you need an anchor that's willing to help you and help you find others that will co-invest because they anchored because it's in their interest as well um a lot of personal network and maybe one piece of advice don't take money from friends mm-hmm. okay <laughs> I haven't, and I'm very happy with that. <laughs> Is that just because, you know, you're worried it'll spoil the friendship or sour the friendship if things don't work out? I, want, I had a lot of friends who had a lot of capital and offered to help. And I felt that, and I still feel that if that's the way I would do it, it would be wrong. Uh, because it is a, at the end of the day, it's a commercial relationship. And, you know, you always... Today, I'm more confident <laughs> in what we're doing and our track record is pretty good. So, uh, you know, I feel more comfortable. But yeah, it's, it, it's a risk that, you know, when you're an institutional investor or, or single family offices and you're deploying, it's, it's different than uh, folks that you meet for beer in the evening. And, uh, you know, and, and yeah. yeah, yeah. And, you know, one, one last thing again, because I'm trying to give you as many lessons as I can to uh, Please. Know, lessons. It's not that I'm that smart. <laughs> It's also very important to commit a decent amount of the fund from your own capital. Mm. That actually was the, the tipping point for me, I think. Um, you know, to be honest, I, I committed to much more than I actually had. Um, I guess this would, I don't know if you want to answer this question, but like what is a, a, a typical percent of the fund you, you should Yeah, commit? for fund one, I would aim for like a high percentage. Over, 50, the, over 30%? Like, like No, 30% if you want to do a $60 million fund, you have to have a lot of capital. But yeah, let's say in the ranges of yeah, 5 to 10% on fund one. Again, you have to show skin in the game here, right? Yeah. Because yeah. So 5 to 10% is sort of a, a reasonable amount. I mean, I don't even know. This is... I, I think so. I think for fund one, yeah. Like you're showing that, you know, you're investing your own capital. You believe in what you're pitching. You're putting enough capital to work. Yeah. Good. Now, was there any anything else for fund two that is different? Do did you get to go after traditional LPs or any advice from raising second round, second second fund? Be very good with your LPs. Like get them, you know, happy, reports on time, comfortable. You know, to be honest, most of my investors in fund two are investors from fund one. Um, yeah, it's like if you're a startup now raising capital from LP from VCs, right? It's a it's a relationship you need to nurture because you know you need them uh, 
for the next round and the following round. It's exactly the same thing. Like, you know, it, yeah, okay. it is. And, and maybe, you know, while we're speaking, like, um, I think a lot of folks that I've seen in the past three years, there's a lot of, like, back office and, and, and stuff. It is a financial institute. Like, you have to remember that. And you need a very, very strong infrastructure. That's an important component when you're raising capital for a VC. Like, you can't just, okay, you're getting commitments on what are you going to do with them? How are you going to control them? How are you going to report? Like, there has to be a, a good infrastructure that will give confidence for whoever. doesn't matter if it's a single-family office, a multi-family office, an institutional. They want to see how this capital is managed, right? What, what, what uh, law firms you're working with, what, what accountants you're working with, how you're going to run the capital calls, and what frequency, you know, how are you preserving their capital? There's a lot of, you know, technical stuff, which also as, as a first-time VC, you have to understand that you're going to have to allocate a lot of capital of your personal, you know, wealth to, to set these things up because you can't do it after the commitment. Yeah, you know, when you're sending legal paperwork, people want to see them. They have to be written. Those paperwork can cost, I don't know, an average two hundred thousand dollars. I was going to actually ask that, and you don't have to give your specific number, but like, what does it cost in in all this legal and other support to, I, I to raise that first it. fund? I, yeah, I'm happy to share. I think every fundraise costs our fund about a million dollars. About a million bucks to raise a sixty million dollar fund or, or a first time yeah. fund. Hmm. Yeah, is that mostly legal? Legal accounting, setting up the entities, traveling. Yeah, I try to combine everything together. Yeah, yeah that's it. That's interesting. I think that's good for people to know because, <laughs> you know, it might be a re reality check for... There's a lot of people that want to be a VC these days, and that's that's interesting, and that's good. I think we'll open up the venture world to a broader, diverse set of investors. Sure. But people should know it costs some money to actually become yeah, there's a there's also, you know, sometimes... And I think actually, I think founders, you know, there's a big difference between joining a fund, right? Joining then setting up. I think it's two different experiences. You're coming to something that's nurtured and works and, you know, is already a machine and fundraising, etc. Yeah, You just have to, like, I, I love it, right? But it's probably, you know, it's, you have to enjoy fundraising, which is sales. You have to enjoy investing, which is being an investor. You have to enjoy consulting because that's a big part of your job. And it's a combination of all, right? And if like, if you don't enjoy fundraising, don't set up a fund. <laughs> to invest, you need investors, right? It's, it's, um, yeah, that's interesting. That is interesting kind of thinking of it as, as your role as being sales, investing, and consulting, sort of three, three different things there. That's, that's very interesting. Um, very good. Any other advice you would give if someone was coming to you saying, I'm thinking about starting a, a new venture fund, any other just generic advice or things you would tell you your know, younger self? One, I, I'd love to see more and more folks, you know, first timers. I think, you know, just don't listen to the no's, learn from them. I think that's, you know, I got so many no's at the beginning and I really, I was privileged. We did this in six months, but if I would, if I get down from the first notes that I got, I would just stop, right? It's just, it takes, you know, I, I said it before, but it really takes time to understand what are the LPs that you should target. And, and it takes time to navigate that. And don't expect it to happen from the first conversation. Most likely it won't. 
Oh, sorry. A couple more quick questions and then uh, I'll let you go. But um, now flipping it to startups that are possibly in the gaming space and looking to raise capital. Um, Two-part two question that are kind of related. You know, what are some of the key metrics you're looking at at a gaming company? Like what are the top three metrics you're kind of looking at to before you would invest? And then conversely, how do you find deals and how should startups find you? So big question, but what do you got? So actually from the last podcast we did, we signed the deal. So uh, our ratio from podcast to uh, investment is a uh, high conversion. So, cool. a, so, so I like to keep these things very simple because I think if we over complex and people don't know, you know what we want from them. So it really depends where the company is. So if the company is pre-launch of a game, and again, let's say our thesis is we invest in gaming companies. That's like, if you're not gaming company, you're welcome to enjoy us. And it doesn't matter web two, web three, whatever it is, cross platform, but and that's that's the, the beginning. So if you're not under that, then uh, you can approach us, but most likely you won't add a lot of value. Um, and then, you know, let's slice this into two. So one, if it's a company pre-launch, of course we'll look at the, at the team and their background. It doesn't have to be a gaming background. It's more like their entrepreneurial background, the diversity of the team in many ways. One, on pure diversity. Two, I don't know if there are three product people on the team that's not that great. Like who's going to cover marketing? Who's going to understand product, economy, monetization? So the more the team is diverse, great. If it's folks who already launched something, also great. I think the learning of launching a game to the world because it's so competitive, that's super important. So Again, we're on the phase of like before launching the game and it's like a pre-seed slash seed investment. The second is the game that they're building. Like even if they haven't built the game, we want to understand what's the theory behind it, why they think it becomes so massive. Like why is this not a niche, but really targeting a big audience and genre or category? Um, you know, and, and I think those two pillars, if we believe that there's a strong team and they reference well and they're building a game that we believe is not a niche and they have a vision of how they're building a big company, you know, that, that's a lot of the marks that we're looking into. The, the only thing I'd add, like on the second slice is, you know, if there's a game out there, we want to see metrics. Most likely, usually the founders will expect to raise more capital at this point. You know, for us to deploy more capital, we want to see more confidence on the metrics themselves. The most important metric, I, I guess any game investor would say this is retention. Goes back to our Netflix story, right? Yeah. We want to see how many people, when they finish episode one, continue to episode two, and then they want to binge. Yeah, so you want to see what's the day one, day seven, day 30 retention. The more advanced is like the ROI of the game, sort of the CAC LTV, if you want to take it the software language. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, you know, we want to see more data. We are a data-driven uh, VC. Like we do think very much like that. Um, what's a really good, um, I don't know, day seven or day 30 retention metric? It's, there's not one plug number because it really no. depends on genres so there's stuff that's more casual you know you're reliant on a brighter audience broader audience you'll expect higher numbers there's more mid-core which at the end of the day you'll have lower numbers but they'll stick with you for a long time but the core thing is that the depth of the retention day 60 90 180 etc that's where you're maintaining users and you're pretty stable um you know so, so it's not it, there's no one number fits all but okay. the beauty about gaming is most of these numbers are public and you can find them anyhow, somewhere. So, you know, it's not that you need to reach an investor to get that. Uh, how to reach us, bgames.vc, we answer every application. And we try in 24 hours. 
Um, uh, repeat that. Out. Sorry, uh, you said that quickly. How to reach you? It's vgames.vc. Um, they just can enter our website. I'll post it to you here on Zoom. Is there a, is it like an op, uh, application form or something? Yeah, you have to add your investment deck, just details of the founder, and my team will reach out very quickly. We try, as I said, to respond in 24 hours. We're very, very cautious of, uh, of time when it comes to an, um, entrepreneurs in general and founders. Like We try to come back, even if it's a no, if it's not relevant, we just try to give feedback, even after a meeting. And also, if we pursue an investment, we try to be very, very fast for that. So, Do you really, this is a loaded question, but do you really like get, how do I phrase this? Do you really look hard at things that come in cold through the website or is it mostly referrals from people you've invested in the past, previous gamers, stuff like that? Um, conversions to investment will always come stronger through referrals. It's natural human being behavior, yeah. right? Somebody that I know referred the team, they know the founders, of course, but we have invested uh, and not like a, a decent amount also from people who came on the website. Okay. Uh, it's Fair not enough. new to us. It's not like, uh, you know, and of course the investment deck has to be very appealing. And in two seconds, I have to understand, you know, people I think don't give enough thought into the investment deck. Mm. And I think it's very, very important for founders because we screen so much, you know, we have like zero time for attention. It's like, or we grab it or not. I always say, find a good way to tell the story, not more than eight slides, who you are as founders, what you're building, what the vision is. And that's enough to understand if we want to pick up a meeting and learn more. Totally. Like sometimes you get decks of like 40 pages. And, okay, we'll screen through them, but I'm not going to read the materials, right? Um, yeah, I'm telling. I always tell our customers we've got about three thousand startups on the platform. I tell them get it down to the five slide deck, which is like yeah, five solution. eight. Yeah. That's like that's the range that we're aiming for. It's like not more right. than that. Excellent. I will let you go unless there's anything else uh, that's in your brain you want to share with our audience. Um, I hope I didn't sound too negative about fundraising VCs. It's it's fun. It's fun. Uh, just say, you know, it's up for a challenge like every founder. You know, I don't think a founder's life is easy. Yeah. And you have to be addicted to it because that's the only way to win. <laughs> yeah, totally. Excellent. Well, if people want to learn more, it's, as we mentioned, vgames.vc. And uh, I guess people can check out your portfolio, see what some of the things you've invested in the past. Um, excellent. Well, thank you very much, Aitan. This is super fun and uh, interesting. What's the next Roblox? What if you had to predict? And you can choose one of your portfolio companies, or choose something that you haven't invested in. What's the next Roblox? Uh, well, Roblox is an amazing platform. Um, yeah, it, it's it's the most difficult is to crack the UGC. Like, look how much your kids are investing into this. This is not a joke, right? You need people to really come in, you know, nurture, build. Oh, we actually have a beautiful company in the US called Dorian. Uh, Dorian. Julia. Julia is a. The female founder is Superpower. Um, and she's building like a friction writer platform for uh, women um, where you can come and write a story and it becomes like an episode and then people can come and choose how this episode goes, etc. So I really believe in that. I think uh, it's a niche, but it's a very, very big niche and it's very suitable. Yeah. Cool. Let's check it out. Yeah. All right. Thank you, sir. 
have a good night. I know it's late, so appreciate your time. And thanks, man. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me. Have keep a great. the good work. Over now. Bye. Yeah.